Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, this is Dan Lobby. Welcome to another edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, sponsored by Sibling Revelry Brewing. Now, speaking of Sibling Revelry Brewing, uh, Mary Kay Cabot, Dougley, Maurice, and I held a live podcast event on Monday night at their Westlake Tap House. It was a lot of fun. It was a great venue. Uh, a good crowd showed up. And that's what this podcast is. This is a this is the live podcast that we recorded at Sibling Revelry Brewing. So, you know, you're going to notice that in the audio that it's live, that, that we're on different mics and things like that. So, uh, it was a lot of fun, though. We talked about the coaching search. Uh, we talked about Baker Mayfield. We took some audience questions. Uh, it was a lot of fun. I think you're going to enjoy this podcast because we get into a lot of different things. So, again, thanks to Sibling Revelry Brewing for sponsoring us, for having us out. We're hoping to do uh, some more of these uh, as things move forward. Uh, but for now, here is our live event from Monday night, again, at Sibling Revelry Brewing. So our panel, we've got Doug Maurice right here, who already turned in his prediction for, uh, for next season. I have moved on to 2019, and I wrote today that the Browns are going to go 12-4 and four next year. So I wanted to get out in front of that before everybody else starts talking about them going 15-1 and one or 14-2. and two. I am on the record at 12-4, and four and we can get into it, but actually it's completely logical, and it's probably going to happen. Doug, those we're not due until August. Yeah, I know. Just so I you know. know. So know. you're making Mary Kay and I look bad. And speaking of Mary Kay, Mary Kay Cabot is here, of course, which is the reason you're all here. Right after uh, Doug wrote his nice story about uh, the Browns going 12-4 and four last year, I quote-tweeted him saying, you were not supposed to start drinking until we got to sibling yeah. revelry boo tonight. Yeah. It's always good when Mary Kay Cabot says on Twitter that you're drunk, but <laughs> we'll take a shot. Well, well, let's get to it, because the big reason, I think, that Doug says the Browns will go 12-4 and four is a particular quarterback who wears number six, Baker Mayfield. So I want to ask everyone, because I'm really genuinely curious, and this is a safe space, so you can be honest. How many of you, back in April, on that Thursday night, when John Dorsey turned in that card for Baker Mayfield, kind of went like this? Safe space, come on, you can admit it. You can admit it. Okay. I was a little bit like that. I kind of liked Baker. I was a little nervous. Mary Kay, I don't know about you, Doug. I know you were a big Baker. Not nervous at all. In on Baker from the start. 12 and 4. Here's what I'm going to ask, though, from each of you. And we'll start with Mary Kay. What have you kind of learned about Baker Mayfield between that moment and tonight? 
that he is feeling very dangerous pretty much every game now. No, I think the thing that has surprised me the most, and it should not have surprised me, uh, but the thing that, that I've been most impressed with about Baker Mayfield is just the exceptional arm talent. I mean, we watch him in practice every single day, and he can put that ball wherever he wants to put it. And they have competitions in practice uh, where they'll try to hit the goalpost or they'll try to get it in, into a big garbage can. And the way that he just nails it wherever he wants to put it in practice with so, so much zip on it, you just knew that that was going to translate over onto the football field. And except for a few errant throws in this past game, which I think he was just a little like too hyped up in this game perhaps, but for the most part, he can put that ball wherever he wants it to go. And he also has phenomenal arm strength to the point where I've had people tell me, that his arm was stronger than Josh Allen's coming out of the draft last year, and Josh was known for his arm strength. I do think the, the thing with Baker, and I think in the modern NFL you have to do this, and you saw this at Oklahoma, is he plays in structure and out of structure. And I think some people maybe thought, um, and I covered him when he played Ohio State twice, uh, his last two years at Oklahoma, that he does have the ability to kind of run around and make crazy plays, but he's really smart within the structure and offense. We saw him at the goal line at Denver resetting a defense, kind of getting them to go where he wants to go so he can make the play. So I think when you see the best NFL quarterbacks now, they can escape pressure and make something out of nothing, but they also can do something within the structure of an offense. And again, I think, I think some people had a misread on him but I think that was always there. And then this stuff is, I think we can get caught up in this. This is bonus stuff to me. But, like, if you didn't like the crotch-grabbing, flag-planting Baker Mayfield at Oklahoma, like, he's planting your flag now. So when he's planting the Browns flag, a lot of people didn't like that at the start. That's a bonus. If you can't play, nobody cares if you have swagger. But when you can play... And now this guy is, like, standing up for Cleveland? What a bonus. And so maybe if you thought he had kind of an attitude, it's like, yeah, he has an attitude. And when he's wearing your jersey, you love that attitude. So I think it's that whole package, but it has to start with the talent on the field that's clearly there. And, you know, it's his ability in the pocket, too, which, is, which we saw at Oklahoma, but he was never – asked to deal with the pressure you have to deal with at the NFL level on a consistent basis when he was at Oklahoma. But we've seen his ability to move in the pocket, look downfield, deliver the football. When he uses his legs, he's not looking to run. He's looking down run the field. We saw it run to throw. with that throw to Jarvis Landry against the Panthers. Then um, moved up in the pocket and delivered the football. Uh, so Baker Mayfield certainly has changed things for the Browns. He's shown what a, a competent quarterback can be. And that has to be a reason why you think they can win 12 games next year. Yeah, I mean, but, but I think it's important to note, too, and, and we can get into, like, the teardown and the rebuild, and we can say he who shall not be named if anybody wants to go there. Um, we don't have to go there. But it's the idea of I think the important thing, and I think the people here who know the Browns understand this, yes, you have your quarterback now, but you also built a roster around him and it's still in progress but you didn't throw him in to a team that can't compete and I think that's a very important thing to note that when you go through all the pieces they have right now they've made like 20 good moves and then they've also added a number one quarterback into that which of course you have to do 
If you don't have Baker, nothing else works. But you also have a chance to be a playoff team next year because Joe Schobert is here, the Demarius Randall trade, and Denzel Ward, and Miles Garrett, and all that stuff that if you thought the, if you wanted them to get a quarterback earlier, what they did by waiting to get Baker is build up for a couple years. So when you plug that guy in, he has a chance to succeed right away, which is what we're seeing. And, you know, I, I would have thought you were absolutely insane for saying that the Browns were going to go 12-4, and four, considering that they've only gone 12-4 and four one other time since they've gone to the 16-game schedule. But when you look at a guy like Patrick Mahomes and what he has done for the Kansas City Chiefs, and like you said, you know, the Browns are solid now on defense and offense, and John Dorsey is going to add another probably 8-10 to 10 really good quality players, a number of starters for next year. I mean, look what he just did this year alone. So when he adds another half dozen, you know, eight to ten, you know, really, really good football players for next year, uh, this team is capable. I, I definitely think they're going to the playoffs next year, uh, and they are capable of double-digit victories. Okay, who, who's one of, who are one of the people that, that put the palm on the forehead here when I asked that figure? All right, well, I'm going over here to these guys right here. All right. What have you learned about Baker Mayfield since the Browns drafted him? He has the effector. I mean, that's everything about him, the feeling dangerous, the, he knows how to command a locker room. People rally around him. He has it. He, that, that There's no other way to put it. What about you? Agreed. The attitude, the intangibles, the stuff that you can't measure at a combine or at a workout or, you know, watching college tape. I think that's the stuff you meet, you get to know when you interview somebody and you meet with a player, and, and he's got it. All right. So there you go. Baker Mayfield, quarterback for the Cleveland Browns. Now let's talk about the other element of this and the team possibly going 12-4. and four. Uh, Doug, I'm not going to <laughs> what the Browns don't have in this equation, at least we don't think, is the head coach. There will be a coaching search. It's already underway. It's already been happening. So I'm going to throw out some names, and I need to hear from all of you what you think of these names. So clap, cheer, whatever. I'm just going to throw out some names. First one, Greg Williams. The head coach of the Cleveland Browns. In All right, wait, wait, wait. This is going to be a fill in the blank, by the way. So when you clap and applaud, when you're filling in the blank. The Browns head coach in 2019 should be blank. So again, one more time, Greg Williams. Lincoln Riley. You're, you're about, all right, come on, come on. What's your name? Taylor. Why Lincoln? Um, I, I think Lincoln over, over Greg Williams because I think because we've been so deprived of adequate coaching for the last number of years that it's so easy to seem like, okay, we're actually getting adequate, adequate coaching now with Greg Williams and Freddie Kitchens that it seems like they, they could be the, the answer moving forward. But I think, you know, forecasting, let's try to go get the best candidate possible. And we still haven't really seen with Freddie if, you know, NFL, once they get the tape on him, you know, going into next year, if they'll be able to adjust. So I think, hey, go for the, the candidate that Baker is comfortable with, you know, stay with a veteran defensive coordinator to help Lincoln on the defensive side. And I think that could be something that would be really, really exciting for the city. All right, get some more names here. You mentioned one. Again, we're talking head coach here, Freddie Kitchens. Ooh, wow. <laughs> Who thinks that? You think that? No loss I'm right. just throwing it out there as a possibility. Hey, okay. Hey, okay. Hey, Grove over here. We're doing our Facebook Live. Thanks. 
Uh, who else do I have here? Bruce Arians. Okay, so far, Greg Williams is the leader in the clubhouse here. Uh, Dave, okay, I'm going to have to learn how to pronounce this guy's name, but we're going to say it like this. Dave Taub. Tobe. Tobe. Mary Kay said it. Dave Tobe. Dave Tobe. Okay, That's wow. his cousin. I guess so. All right. Because we got somebody clapping for Dave Tobe, i got to come put you on the spot. I have to. What's your name? Why Dave Tobe? Well, it looks like uh, he's, he's one of Dorsey's men. He's come from Kansas City. And uh, it looks like he could be uh, the sleeper. All right. Speaking of Kansas City guys, Eric Bieniemy. Anybody? You like Eric Bieniemy too? Okay. All right. I'm not going to put you on the spot again. Uh, Mike McCarthy. I just heard a no. I heard an audible no out there somewhere. Okay. So what's interesting in all of this is that Greg Williams actually got the most applause, at least in this room. This is a guy that has gone 4-2 and two as the interim head coach. The team looks different. They're playing different. How much of that is him? How much of that is Freddie Kitchens? You know, we can get into a little bit. But, uh, Mary Kay, you and I did a video on this today. It's at cleveland.com slash browns if you guys want to go check that out. Uh, we did a video on this today. I mean, is Greg Williams a legitimate head coaching candidate? Should he be a legitimate head coaching candidate? Well... He is strengthening his case week by week. The more they win, obviously, uh, the better that interview is going to go. We already know that he's going to be interviewed by John Dorsey after the season. And it's funny because when we, uh, when we listen to Greg Williams talk now every single day, he sort of has his head coach voice on now. And, uh, you know, he's, he's almost acting like a head coach. You brought that up in the video today uh, as At well. At cleveland.com slash Browns. <laughs> so, you know, he, he, he kind of has his head coaching hat on. And, hey, he's bringing in Kobe Bryant to speak to the players. So, you know, he's, he's winning friends and influencing people that way, too. So uh, the players are, are kind of falling in love with him and his approach and things like that. Uh, but there's still, still a large part of me that, that really believes that, that John Dorsey had a list in his mind of guys that would be his first head coach uh, that he ever got a chance to hire because he hasn't done that yet. He's not gotten a chance to hire his own head coach yet. Uh, so I think that he's been thinking about this for many, many years. When I did an interview with him before the season in his office, uh, he spent all this time when he was out of football for, for months writing a 25-page a document called the 31 Core Competencies of Winning Sustainable Football. And I'm sure that if he was doing that, uh, that he was also thinking of this list of coaches that he would hire when he got the opportunity to do so. So there's still a large part of me that thinks uh, that he came in here with, with his short list, and I'm sure that there's a, a lot of people on this list that might not even be a short list. He probably has a dozen people uh, that he has been thinking about, and I, I just there's just a large part of me that thinks that he's going to want to start fresh with his own guy, and then they move forward together into you know the championship realm for them, hopefully. Doug, if we're sitting there on January 2nd, January 3rd, whatever, January 15th, and the announcement is we've removed the tag from the interim tag from Greg Williams' name, what's your column the next day? Uh, bad move. And I, my column will be they should have opened it up to everyone and said, who wants to come coach a 12-4 and four team? Because that's what the 2019 Browns are going to be. Listen, I've written this before, and I believe this. You, maybe this, you guys have felt this in your walk of life. I think the best way to look good at your job 
is to follow a Hugh Jackson. Maybe there's a Hugh Jackson in your office or someone where you work and you say, this person is terrible at what they do. I want to follow them because I'm going to look like a genius compared to them. And I cannot believe that in a world where it's taken this long for the Browns to build this roster, it's taken this long for them to get a number one draft pick at quarterback, they're then going to hand the franchise over to like the guy who was in the room when they got rid of Hugh. They should be able to go out and get the best head coaching candidate on the market. And I'm not joking. And I know the Haslams that there's been an issue with them, and, and but there is so much else in place here. I think to settle for a guy, he's a 60-year-old guy, got his only head coaching shot 17 years ago. Greg Williams went 17 and 31 in three years as the head coach of the, the Buffalo Bills and never got another shot. And now, like now the Browns have stumbled on to this secret football genius. I, I just, I think it would be ludicrous. Everybody in every sport, and Ohio State just did this, and I'm not totally on board with this either. Everybody always wants the guy in the room, the guy you know. You ask the team, they say, yeah, he's our friend. We'll take this guy. We love him. That doesn't mean that's the guy you're supposed to hire. So I think Greg Williams, no matter what he does right now, would be a mistake. I think there are too many other good people out there who will want this job. And I think with everything else this franchise has done, they owe it to themselves to go out and get the best person available, and it's not Greg Williams. And I remember back when, uh, when Eric Mangini won out, uh, and everybody got all excited about Eric Mangini that year. Uh, but the problem was Eric Mangini... Uh, was not a fit with, with Mike Holmgren. And the minute Mike Holmgren walked in the door, I knew that Eric and Mangini and Mike Holmgren were not going to be together for a long period of time. And they basically wasted a year trying to make that work. They just were from two different football families, two different philosophies. Now, I know that John Dorsey likes Greg Williams. He likes what he's done so far this season. What's not to like right now? But I think everyone recognizes that they're winning in large part because of Baker Mayfield. They're winning in large part because of him. And that's also what makes this job extremely attractive. I think probably more attractive than almost any other job. The Green Bay job is very, very attractive as well because of Aaron Rodgers. But uh, Baker Mayfield is young, 23 years old, and if all goes as planned, he will be here for a decade or more. Uh, so what's not to love about this job? Okay, let, let's revisit a name uh, that Hayden Grove uh, really liked. Let's talk about Freddie Kitchens. Now, I understand him making that leap to head coach would be big, and I don't know that that's the right move, but I think it's worth discussing because when you talk about Freddie Kitchens, what are we talking about? 44 years old, an offensive guy, has coached quarterbacks, has worked under guys like Bruce Arians, has had success calling plays, has seemed innovative calling plays, right? And him and Baker Mayfield seem to vibe. That checks a lot of boxes. If you were to sit down and take that name out of the equation and just say, there's a candidate who's 44, calls a good game, vibes with Baker Mayfield, has worked under successful offensive minds, Freddie Kitchens checks a lot of those boxes. Now, that would be a big leap. But should we write that off? I mean, I think it could be a possibility. Well, I think one of the things to consider with Freddie Kitchens, and when you're talking about 
head coach. He was a running backs coach just a couple of months ago. So for him to be able to uh, to come in here and step in and take over the head coaching job and also call the plays, uh, that might be a lot. But you know, if they do hire someone like a Dave Tobe, and he was completely 100% on board with keeping a Freddie Kitchens, you know, maybe that's something that could work. And then also, uh, Bruce Arians talked about keeping Freddie Kitchens as his offensive coordinator if he gets the job, although I, I really don't see that happening either, unless for some reason he just knocks John Dorsey's socks off and they think that Freddie could work into the job in a couple of years when, when Bruce is ready to give it up. But I don't know that they would be ready to turn the whole thing over to Freddie, considering uh, that he would be trying to run the whole operation and call the plays. Okay, so what we're going to do right now is we are going to talk about one Mr. John Dorsey. Now, a little later, we're going to do a Q&A. So if you've got uh, some questions you want to ask us, we're going to do that a little bit later here in the, uh, in the show. But I want to know how all of you grade John Dorsey and the job he's done since taking over a little bit over a year ago. So who gives John Dorsey? I mean, let's start with, uh, let's start low and go up. So who gives John Dorsey like a C? Nobody. I didn't think so. How about a B? Is it everybody going to be an A? Everybody's giving John Dorsey an A? A minus? I got to ask you again, why, why A minus? I mean, it's not like everything's quite worked out. I mean, the plane at left tackle hasn't been really addressed, and then, like, Austin Corbett was picked, like, in the first pick of the second round. He hasn't played all year. So, I mean, just nitpicking a little bit, but, I mean, overall, A-minus seems like the appropriate grade. Okay, so how would you guys grade John Dorsey? Go ahead, Doug. Well, he had, like, half the answers on the test handed to him when he got here. Um, he made a good choice at number one. And I think the thing that we know now is uh, I think it surprised people in the moment. But, Mary Kay, you've done a lot of reporting on this. I think there are actually more people in the league who would have taken Baker Mayfield number one. Certainly, it's not what everybody would have done, but it's not like John Dorsey's the only guy in the world who was going to take Baker Mayfield number one. So he deserves a lot of credit. It seems like he got the right guy there. Um, he didn't take Josh Allen, which some people in this room wanted him to do. Uh, but... Uh, you do get credit for that, but but you have to remember he had a lot to work with. He had a lot of salary cap room. He had extra picks. So um, to this gentleman's point, you know, they picked a lineman in the second round that hasn't played and while they needed a left tackle. They traded the first pick in the third round for Tyrod Taylor, who turns out they didn't really need him. So it hasn't been perfect, but it's not about being perfect. He's added probably 10 good football players to this team. So nobody gets everything right. But I do think he was put in a very, very good position, and he's done a really good job taking advantage of that. But you have to remember the position that he was given when he got here. Well, I because he got the quarterback right, or because it looks like he got the quarterback right, and I think that will hold up over the years, uh, I think he has to have an A-plus just because of that alone. Because if you, like Joel Batonio recently said, Having the quarterback isn't everything, but it's everything. And it really is. It's everything. That's been the problem with this team all along. And he nailed that. Like Doug said, there are some other things that haven't been perfect. Uh, I wrote a column last week saying, uh, questioning whether or not the Browns should have taken Bradley Chubb over Denzel Ward at number four. And we still don't really know yet uh, the answer to that. Now, 
certainly Denzel Ward is a very good player, and it looks like he's going to be that for a long time, and he probably will make multiple Pro Bowls. Uh, but as the years go by, I think that's still one to watch, and it could end up being a win-win for both teams. So that's one. And like you mentioned, Austin Corbett, uh, we don't know how that's going to go yet. Uh, but when you look at the total picture and you think of Demarius Randall, Terrence Mitchell, Jarvis Landry, if you look at all the acquisitions that he's made, the trades that he's made, uh, absolutely 100%, especially because of Baker Mayfield. And not everybody would have had the guts to take him at number one. A lot of teams that I've talked to, a number of teams, a handful, would have taken Baker but not everybody would have had the guts to take him at number one based on the fact that most quarterbacks under six foot one are not successful in the NFL. So you've got to give him a lot of credit for that. There was a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure to take Sam Darnold. Uh, and, and I think that if John Dorsey wasn't here and if he didn't have Scott McLuhan, a consultant, you know, really pushing Baker, you know, I, I don't know that the Cleveland Browns would have Baker Mayfield right now. I think the other guy would have taken him, though. I don't know about that. Why do you, would why do you think that? Because I think, I think he fits the model of the kind of quarterback that they would have looked for. I don't know. We'll never know. We'll never know. We'll never know. I just, I, I, I don't think, uh, they had multiple options there. And the thing is, too, is like, I think Sam Darnold's going to be good. Mm-hmm. So I don't know that Sam Darnold would have been a wrong answer there. I think Josh Allen would have been a wrong answer, although Allen showed flashes this year, too. It was a good quarterback class. It was a pretty good year to have the number one pick, and we knew that going in. There wasn't an obvious guy. There wasn't an Andrew Luck or a Cam Newton, but there were options there, multiple options that could work. So I don't know. I'm not trying to, like, I don't want to downgrade John Dorsey at all because you just you do what you're given, right? But, you know, anybody who was the GM of this team was going to take a quarterback number one, and I think you had multiple chances to get that right with at least two two different guys. All right, let's talk about the job that John Dorsey has to do after this season to get to Doug's 12-4 and four mark, uh, Mary Kay's 14-2 and two mark, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, all right, so we're coming, we're coming in here now. I'm going go to uh, I'm gonna go to this guy right here. You're John Dorsey. What are your two top priorities this offseason? Linebacker. Safety. Linebacker and safety. Uh, let's go down here. Give me your two top priorities right here. You're the, you're the GM here? All right, your two top priorities. I'm stumped. You're, you're fired. You are no longer the GM of the Cleveland Browns. This guy pawned it off on his buddy over here, and then he comes up with offensive line. I don't know what's going on. There's a leadership crisis at this table is what's happening here. Uh, over here, how about uh, you? Top priorities for John Dorsey. Uh, probably big physical wide receiver. All right, big physical wide receiver. So we've had linebacker mentioned, offensive line, receiver. Um, Mary Kay and Doug, now you get to put on your GM hats. Priorities this offseason, your top two priorities this offseason for the Cleveland Browns with $80 million in cap space, plenty of draft picks still remaining. What are the priorities? I think left tackle is number one. Um, they, re- they have botched that, 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 that you got to a point where you're playing an undrafted free agent at the start of the year, uh, and then you're hoping that Greg Robinson off the scrap heap is your answer. He's stabilized that to an extent, 
but they can get an answer there. And I think that that's a priority, whether it's in free agency or the draft. And then honestly, I think I think a receiver would help when you think about that they, you know, that, that in camp they thought Josh Gordon and Corey Coleman were going to be a big part of this passing game, and they've gotten by without them. Um, but this is not. I don't think this is a team with like multiple glaring weaknesses. It's the second youngest team in the league. They're, I think it's their top 22 guys. Only one of them's older than 30. This is a young core across the board. Offensive line, defensive line. The things you mentioned, Dorsey did this offseason, really settled the secondary in a lot of ways. I think they're going to be in a position to be able to get go get good players, the best players available. But I think I think left tackle is the one spot you have to find an answer. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. I would add another pass rusher for sure. And I would probably go pretty high with that uh, because, again, when they decided to take Denzel Ward over Bradley Chubb, part of the rationale there uh, by Greg Williams was – Uh, that they wanted to give Miles Garrett more of an opportunity to get to the quarterback with better coverage in the back end. Uh, But I maintain that having another pass rusher to take some pressure off of him would also help him a lot. He's taking on a lot of double teams to the point where they have to take him off the field sometimes. As a matter of fact, in this past game, uh, he was off the field for this one whole series and I looked over on the sideline, and he was walking up. I never even got a chance to write this because I, I didn't have time to ask him about it yet. He walked up to the defensive line coach, Clyde Simmons, and he was kind of kind of complaining to him about being off the field at that time. And I saw Clyde, like, brush him away. And, um, and I think that, you know, they're trying to, to keep him fresh for the end of the game. But I think one of the best ways to do that would be to have another premier pass rusher, who they thought that was going to be Emmanuel Ogba this year, but it didn't quite turn out that way. So I would like to see another pass rusher, and I really do think that they need a really good X receiver. Now, Brashad Perriman has come in and saved the day a little bit in terms of filling in, uh, but I think that they need a, a, just a really good starting X. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I always think it's interesting teams that, that tend to load up on positions of strength. So you already have a Miles Garrett go out and add another pass rusher because there's so many constraints with the salary cap, even as it rises and, and draft constraints. It's hard to build a roster one through 53. So if you have, let's say, two or three really good pass rushers and it means maybe your secondary isn't quite where it needs to be, you can kind of cover up uh, some of those holes there. Um, so next year's record, Doug. Let's get to it. You said 12 and 4. Can I, can I, I want to interject a question. Oh, go ahead. This. Clap your hands if you think the Browns are going to make the playoffs next year. I just, that's like a, I just want everyone to appreciate that fact that, that again, we're, we may be getting in the debate up here. Well, do you think it's 10 wins or 12 or 9 or 11? Like, this is where we are. This is a new world in Cleveland football that, you have two games left in this season, and then you have a whole offseason of talking about how this is going to be a playoff team. And that is an amazing thing, and it's not going to be only this offseason. It's going to be multiple offseasons to come. And, by the way, they're going 12-4 and four next year. <laughs> What's your record, Barry Kay? Oh, I have, to pick, I have to pick a record right now? Yeah, we're going to hold you to it. Oh, man. Well, let's just put it this way. I'm very, very close to nailing it this year if they win one more game because I did pick seven victories this year. So, um, But I actually think they're probably going to win eight this year. 
next. So if they can win eight this year, I definitely think they can get into double digits next year. Um, can I say 10 or 11? You can't. You can say whatever you want. You you're can say twelve. 12. You're not going to hold me. twelve if you want. You're not going to hold me to one number. Let me go ten. Let me go ten or eleven. Make a choice. All right. Let's go eleven. Because I will say, if you look at the schedule next year, they play the AFC East, which stinks, except for the Patriots, and they play. Who's the NFC division next year? They play the they NFC play the West. NFC West. So they play the Cardinals and the 49ers in there. The schedule, I mean, you look at the schedule this year, they wound up with the AFC West with the Chiefs and the Chargers. They got the Saints. They had kind of a tough schedule this year. Next year the schedule is easier, which is why they're going to go 12 and 4. All right, you know what? Let's get let's get a little ambitious here. Let's get let's get really really ambitious cuz I want to know. So you've got a quarterback, right? You think you have a quarterback. It looks like you've got a quarterback. He's on a rookie deal. Five years, four years in that option. So you got this nice little window here where you can spend a ton of money. You don't have to pay Baker like a franchise quarterback. This is the window of contention, really, that first window of contention. So I want to know, my round of applause, when do you think this team should take the step from playoff team, which you all believe is going to happen next year, right? Everyone believes playoff team next year or should be. When do they take that next step to real Super Bowl contender? Does anyone believe that happens in 2019? Right there? All right, all you have to do is get in and get hot. 2020. Okay. I thought your question was going to be, are they going to win one Super Bowl or multiple Super Bowls? Well, how about That's where I thought you were going with when, this. When is it realistic to go into a season, and maybe it is next year, when is it realistic to go into a season and start talking about that word or that, I guess you call it a phrase. I guess it's two words. I was an English major. Uh, Super Bowl. When do you start talking about that? Do we have to see what happens next year? No, first? I think it's realistic for next year with the way the NFL works. And here's the thing. This was a plan. They, they got screwed up because of 0-16, and they were never an 0-16 team talent-wise when they went 0-16. But if, if they had managed four wins last year, which is what they should have done, this would have seemed like more reasonable progress. And it would instead of this kind of weird, well, they were one win and then zero wins, and now they're going to win seven or eight, this is the trend. And you, you don't have to tread water and, like, Get a, be a wild card team and then get to the Super Bowl after that. You can do it right now. As someone whoever said that, you just have to be hot at the right time at the end of the year. But as long as you have a quarterback and a defense, you've got a shot. And when you talk about this team, they have a quarterback and a defense, and that gives you a shot in January. And by the way, Doug, they wouldn't have that quarterback right now. They wouldn't have Baker Mayfield unless they went 0-16 last year. All part of the plan. And the other thing is, too, this is important. There are other things trending their way. The Patriots are going to stop being the Patriots at some point. The Steelers are getting older. You can, now, the Chiefs are going to be a problem for a little while, right? There's always somebody coming up. But there is a changing of the guard happening in the AFC North and the AFC in general. There is an opening for, the, for a team like the Browns, and they are trending up at exactly the right time. We are uh, we're going to open it up to everyone here. Uh, if you've ever wanted to ask Doug or Mary Kay a question, this is now your chance to do so. If your dog would like to ask a question, that would be fantastic. Um, but anyone who has a question, this is the Q&A section. Anything you want to ask about the Browns, if you want life advice, whatever you want, this is your chance to ask us. So who's got a question? Right here. 
Say your name first for me. Mike. I'm Mike. I wonder what you think about the fact that we got rid of uh, Corey Coleman and uh, Josh Gordon and a few other supposedly pretty good players. Okay, so he's asking uh, about the Browns getting rid of Corey Coleman and Josh Gordon uh, and, and what they think of that. Well, I did not have a problem with them getting rid of Corey Coleman because, uh, you know, he, he just wasn't really going to work out here. He didn't have the work ethic. He didn't uh, do the things that he needed to do. And furthermore, he had a little bit of an attitude problem, which also manifested itself when he went to Buffalo. Now he's, a, he's with the Giants, and it seems like he has settled down a little bit. Uh, but that one I didn't have a problem with. Josh Gordon, on the other hand, I did have a problem with that. And I wrote a column about it before they traded him to the Patriots. And what I said was, uh, you know, hang in there. You might be near the end of your rope with Josh Gordon, but tie a knot and hang on and do not give this guy away for nothing. He's too good. You need a receiver. You need that X receiver. And I just didn't think that they should make that move in part because I thought that he was trying to sort of orchestrate his way out of town and get to a team like the Patriots. And I wouldn't be surprised if the if there was some back channel, you know, information that told him that perhaps maybe he had a chance to end up with the Patriots. So I just didn't like the way that whole thing went down. And uh, and as you can see now, he's he's doing well in New England. We haven't ha heard anything whatsoever about any issues in terms of having to leave the team, getting suspended. We haven't heard anything like that. So, uh, you know, I think that they should have hung on to him. They gave him away, basically. Uh, they got, they, you know, they traded a uh, fifth round pick. They got a fifth round pick and they have to give back a seventh. So that's basically giving him away. And I, I just wasn't for that. I think they should have uh, made him stick around this year. And I think that he probably would have loved playing with Baker Mayfield as well. So I think he could have gotten his mind turned around about being here as well. Have they really missed him, though? And, and I understand that, like, they've had, you know, you're forcing Callaway and Higgins and Perryman into some roles. He, he's had two games of 100 yards with the Patriots. He has, like, 40 catches this year. I don't feel like it blew a hole in the roster to miss him. And I, and I understand. I think the thing with that is, you want to be, you want to become a franchise where the Josh Gordons of the world don't want to leave. They want to stay. So I understand why they did it. And there were some other things that John Dorsey did that I questioned at the time. But, like, they got rid of Danny Shelton for a third-round pick. Danny Shelton doesn't, isn't even active with the Patriots right now. They, they've gotten rid of some other guys along the way. But for the most, they, they've added people to sort of fill in around them. And I feel like the depth of this roster has grown. And when they got rid of Corey Coleman... I question that. You knew more about that than anybody, the inner workings of that. But, but I, I like the idea of the Browns maybe becoming a team where they're still going to give guys like Callaway and maybe who have some off-field things a shot here and there. But you know what? Like, if you're kind of a knucklehead and you don't want to be here, then, like, fine. We'll get somebody else good who wants to be here. And I don't know that that's a bad way to try to do business. And in the end, I don't... I don't think Josh Gordon was the difference between them being a playoff team. I don't know. I mean, I, would, would he have won them a game here or there? I mean, they've had a couple close ones. I don't know. I, I understand your reluctance about it, but I also understand the Browns trying to say we're done with this kind of stuff and we want to move on. 
and I think that's not a bad idea. All right, we had a, uh, a Facebook question that Hayden uh, gave me. I don't even know if this guy's a free agent coming up or what, but somebody was asking about uh, a famous Browns son, uh, and somebody brought up a linebacker as a need here. If uh, the Browns ended up getting a guy like Clay Matthews, would that be a fit here? Quick answer. Quick answer is yes. <laughs> Absolutely, 100%. Well, I mean, I, and the quick answer, I think, is with the salary cap space they have, they have more cap room than any team in the league. There are going to be opportunities, I think, right, for a guy like that here and there. They have to decide who's the right guy, but I think they could definitely add a big-name guy or two at a couple key spots this offseason, and maybe that's one of them. Mary Kay, is this the year that Clay, uh, Clay Matthews, the father, gets in the Hall of Fame? You know, I do think that this is the year that he will make it down to the 15. And today, what's today, Monday? By Wednesday morning, I have to have my ballot of 25 whittled down to 15. Um, I'm one of the 44 Hall of Fame selectors. And, uh, and I will be, obviously, voting for Clay, Matthew to, Clay Matthews to get down to... To the 15 for the first time. He deserves it. And uh, and I have a good feeling about it this year. I, I think that uh, he has a good chance to get in the room, as we call it, this year, where we debate uh, for hours and hours and hours the day before the Super Bowl whether or not they get into into the hall. All right. Who else has a question? Start here. The dog has a question. He wants to know, who are the Browns without Baker Mayfield right now? Are they better overall? <laughs> you know, are they sustainable without Baker Mayfield? God forbid he does get injured. And what are they doing to protect him? So the question was, if you didn't hear, what what are the Browns without Baker Mayfield? If something were to happen to Baker Mayfield, could they survive, essentially? Sort of like the Eagles, a la Nick Foles last year. You know, right now, I would have to say uh, that that – they're winning because of him and that they would struggle without him in in the same way that, you know, the 49ers have, for the most part, struggled without Jimmy Garoppolo. So Baker is, is going to be a hard guy to replace. I do think that they are going to have to have, they'll have to have a good backup next year. Tyrod won't be here next year because his contract is up and, and he'll be gone. Uh, so I do think that they, they do need to have a good backup in the event that something happens to him because... Uh, you know, you would hate to see a season completely go down the drain if something happens to him. And I do think in terms of, like, what they're doing to, like, protect him, I think that the interior of their offensive line, I think, is as good, and the stats will show that, as good as any offensive line in the league. Their center and two guards, the way they're playing. They need to get that left tackle spot figured out, right? That is a long-term thing for Baker Mayfield. Mayfield they need, need to get figured out. But also I think Nick Chubb's part of that. When you have a running game, when you give your quarterback a running game, that makes life easier on him but also protects him in a way. So I think they need to get a left tackle. They need to add a receiver. But you would like to get to the point where people thought when Carson Wentz was in Philadelphia, everybody in Cleveland was freaking out. How did Cleveland let the Eagles get Carson Wentz? And the Eagles won the Super Bowl with their backup quarterback. And now Nick Foles beat the Rams last night. And people wonder if Nick Foles is better than Carson Wentz. It's because they have a system in place. They have other players there. They have a system that works and a roster around it. And then you get a good backup quarterback. And you get to the point where you can survive if something happened to him. But we don't ever want to figure that out. Let's go (laughs) 10 years of this guy being healthy. All right. What's your question? I have actually a two-part question. First part is... 
Doug, you mentioned that the Browns had enough talent to not go 0-16 last year. So do we put that on Hugh Jackson, that they went 0-16? Okay. <laughs> Already? It was a bad – it was, it was a, a volatile mix of ineptitude between Hugh Jackson and Deshaun Kaiser that brought out the worst in each other. And the, all the advanced stats that you look at, a lot of other things, I've talked to people, they've said that those stats show they should have won three or four games, and they won zero. Okay. And shouldn't you be having a parade for Hugh Jackson, though? Yeah, no, I mean, it is, <laughs> yes. I mean, again, if you're going to stink, you may as well stink all the way and get the number one pick. But, yes, they had more talent than an 0-16 team, for are, sure. Are, are you going to start a fight with the second part of this question? Yeah. No, no. Okay, okay, all right, just make it sure. No, we're not going to start a fight. So, so if Greg Williams is not asked to be head coach next year, you're bringing a new head coach. What are the chances that we keep someone like Freddie Kitchens, Greg Williams, the group that has kind of put this team on the map, on the national map, moving to the point where we're on, you know, we're, we're on TV and you can see us kind of in the hunt? What do you do with that group? I have, I have cited this, and Mary, I'll be short on this. When Ohio State had Luke Fickle as the interim coach for one year, and then Urban Meyer took over. The athletic director at Ohio State said, hey, Urban Meyer, you don't know Luke Fickle. Why don't you check him out and see what you think? And Urban Meyer kept Luke Fickle as a defensive coordinator after he had been the interim head coach for a year. I think if a new head coach comes in, you have to get let him hire his own staff, right? But I think John Dorsey could and would say, listen, give Greg Williams a real hard look here. Think about keeping him around as defensive coordinator because I don't think Greg Williams should be the head coach. I absolutely think he can help this team back in his role as defensive coordinator. And Mary Kay, you know how this works better than I do. Like, it, depending who that new head coach is, would something like that be possible? Well, like you said, I, I think that the new head coach, one of the problems the Browns have had over the past how many every years, uh, many, many years dating back, you know, at least to 1999, is that they keep keeping some of the old and trying to blend it with the new. And, and I think it's time to, you know, to stop doing that. I think they need to probably bring in a new head coach and let him hire his own entire staff. I will say, however, that there is starting to be some buzz about uh, about Freddie Kitchen sticking around, not not just rumors and things like that, but you know, there's some some little rumblings that uh, you know that Freddie could be here, and uh, the way that he talks, he almost seems to think uh, that that he could be here going forward. So I don't know exactly why that's going on, but there is a chance that he could stick around. A, qu- a quick follow-up that she had was, uh, and, and these next two, let's do them real quick so we can kind of get into the room a little bit too. Um, would Greg be okay with coming back as D coordinator, do you think? Yes, Greg would, be, Greg would be absolutely fine with coming back as D coordinator. We ask him that every single week about do you want to be a head coach, and he's, he always says that he'll be happy doing whatever coaching job he's doing. Uh, the other question came from Facebook. Uh, how many primetime games for the Browns next year? Eleven. <laughs> Eleven. Uh, anybody, what's, what's your number out here? There's a three, a four, four, five. I think Baker Mayfield is ratings, and there's something about this team. There are people in this country who aren't Browns fans who are intrigued by a franchise that has been this bad now having hope. I think they will be in prime time multiple times. All right, let's, let's try and get a few more. Anybody who else over here? Okay. So after 
week 15 with Pittsburgh now winning the whole AFC. All of us won. There's controversy about should Baker Mayfield play the last two games of this season when there's a 1% chance, according to all the statistics, to actually get a wild card spot. Should he? All right, so, so the question was... With the Browns essentially out of the playoff race, they need to tie in Week 17, among other things. Should they consider benching Baker Mayfield for the final two games? No, absolutely not. The que- again, the and, question and the, was, the questioner would not do it. <laughs> yeah, um, the question again was: Should they bench Baker for the last two games if, since they're not having a chance to make the playoffs? But absolutely not. Uh, he's gaining valuable experience. He's seeing different things each week, and. Uh, He's growing, he's learning, and, uh, you know, this is going to really serve him well next year to have these starts under his belt and, uh, you know, to have the timing and the rhythm down with some of his players, and it's just invaluable for him to get out there and play and start these last two games. And I, I wrote this today, now that the playoffs are basically dead, the last two games of 2018 are really the first two games of 2019, and you want to go out and win them and show people who you are with your best players. All right, let's, uh, let's do a couple more here, over here. In terms of the head coaching search and otherwise, do you think that Jimmy Haslam can stay out of the way and let John Dorsey run the show? Well, I do 100% firmly believe that John Dorsey is driving the bus on the coaching search. He's bringing the list of names, he is interviewing the people, and he will bring his number one candidate uh, to the group. They have a, a small circle of people involved in this decision. But, of course, the Haslam's own the football team. They will be involved in this uh, they'll be involved in the interviewing process. When these guys come in, they will go out to dinner with them. They will be heavily involved. Uh, so, yes, you know, they will be, and they should be. I mean, when you own a football team, you know, if you want to have a say in who your head coach is going to be, you absolutely should have the right to do that. But I think they will listen to John Dorsey. I think they will take his recommendation, whatever it is. And I, and I will say um – and maybe this has cooled a little bit because the Los Angeles Rams have lost a couple games now, but when everybody was sort of on the Sean McVay bandwagon, I talked to a Rams writer earlier this year about how did the Rams figure this out with their front office? How did they find this great coaching candidate in Sean McVay? What was their secret? And he basically said they were a bunch of bumbling idiots and they found him by accident. So... I took that as a good sign of, like, in a world, I think there are reasons to trust John Dorsey for sure, but even if you don't trust the Haslams, and I think the bigger issue is the structure where you wind up with the GM and head coach both reporting to the owners and, like, you encourage fighting, they might, just like with Baker, sort of like sometimes you just have to get something right, right? So I don't think it has to be the greatest coaching search of all time, to find a great coach because I think this is going to be an attractive job and of course the Haslam's are going to be in it but maybe they'll just get somebody good because there's a lot of good options all right right here all right I have a kind of a fun question that's not more of like for next year more just forecasting the future do you ever foresee kind of maybe in the, the next 15 to 20 years the Browns building a new stadium more in like 
maybe a dome open there, you know, style stadium that with the hope of down the road you could host the Super Bowl within, you know, 20 to 25. Any any insights that you could have on maybe the, the Browns maybe building a new stadium with the hope of maybe getting a, to a Super Bowl down the road? Yes, they really ha they have talked about that. They um, The question is, will the Browns build a new stadium, have a dome, and maybe host a Super Bowl at some point? I do think that the Haslam's have that in mind. They will explore it. They've started talking to uh, you know city officials about doing something like that down the road. So I do think that uh, in, in your lifetime, you could see a new dome stadium and possibly, possibly even a Super Bowl here. I, I am curious. I, I think Browns fans take a lot of pride in the weather. How would you all feel about a domed stadium or a, an enclosed, so maybe a retractable roof? Yes? No? Okay. All right. Do we have anything else? Last call here? Got one? Not actually last call. Last call for the question. You still have plenty of time to get stuff up there. Did you see, during, during training camp, did you see flashes of what Baker is now then? And were you questioning why he wasn't getting more snaps with the first team through this whole process? Or was it really just a, we want the rookie to sit because we've done such a bad job with rookies in the past, so we don't want to mess this guy up for the future. We kind of see him as being a little bit more of the future than we have maybe, and we've kind of gotten our lesson learned. Yeah, you know what, and I, I wrote about this last week a little bit too, uh, the fact that during training camp they had made such an organizational decision they were so wounded and tortured from having gone 0-15 with Deshaun Kaiser and 0-8 with Cody Kessler that Baker Mayfield kind of had to pay for the sins of rookies past. And that really wasn't necessary. If you really just looked at what you had in front of you, you could see what Baker Mayfield was all about. And I think you have to take it on a case-by-case -case basis. You could look at him and say, he's not... Cody Kessler, he's not Deshaun Kaiser, he's not Brandon Whedon, he's not Johnny Manziel, you know, you can go on and on and on. He started more than 40 games in college. He was ready for this opportunity, and I think he did a great job of, of handling it very well, uh, but I think they, you know, to a fault, they made this organizational decision heading in that they were not going to give him a first-team rep, and it didn't even matter after he played well in his first preseason game. I think, Dan, you and I on our videos and podcasts, we were predicting that he would get some first-team reps after that, and he never did. I mean, they just absolutely refused to do it. I maintain that that was the wrong decision. That, and, and, you know, I'm sure John Dorsey and some people were thinking, well, look, Patrick Mahomes, you know, he sat and he, you know, and now look at him. Well, that doesn't mean Patrick couldn't have been good last year. Uh, I think there, there's a lot of evidence now that rookie quarterbacks can step in and be successful right away if they're given the right system. And, and I think that, that that hurt him because he is learning on the job. And I think they should have given him first-team reps in training camp. I think they should have opened it up as a competition and just let it rip. And that's why when Baker Mayfield gets the first-team reps in camp next year, the Browns are going 12-4! and four. <laughs> so, Some idiot actually once wrote that Baker Mayfield didn't look ready. <laughs> Wow. So, but that was in like OTA. So There it was, our live event. Make sure you make it out to our next one when we have it. We'll announce that, of course, uh, on the podcast and elsewhere. I'm Dan Lobby. Thanks for listening.